Hello and welcome to 80sography. This is a special episode. A bit, a bit different this one. Um, this is the audio commentary for The Seeds of Love. I was able to um, get in contact with Dave Bascom who co-produced the album with Roland. And this is something I've wanted to do. I had this idea to do this from the beginning of the podcast. If I can tell you exactly what gave me the idea was the Pet Shop Boys. They did it for Yes, one of their albums. It was a bonus track. They were interviewed by David Walliams. Walliams. Uh, and they talked through the album track by track. And also, I was the kind of sad loser that used to listen to audio commentaries on a DVD. I'd, I'd listen to the director's commentaries. I was that person. Um, so I always wanted to do this for music, but never thought I would actually get the chance to actually speak to people involved in the making of the albums. So that's, that was the change. So it's, um, so get your two devices. This is where millennials go, well, I can't do it all on my phone. So yes, any two devices. Get queued up, get ready. And uh, we shall start. Site one. Ready? Three. Two. One. Play. Right. So, Woman in Chains. Yes, this one went through. This is one of the songs that went through a lot of attempts to get it right. Really because the arrangement was never quite finalised. So we spent um, a long time, with a lot of time with Chris endlessly going through versions and then we took a break and Roland came up with the middle eight which uh, was what it really needed and that's just made the whole thing come alive he also um, changed a lot of the percussive parts like the whole intro idea uh, was new and I I only realised the other day listening to the jams from Townhouse on the deluxe edition that um, that idea came from Manu Kache during some live jams which I'd completely forgotten about, but obviously Roland remember that. And, and it wasn't, we didn't use Manu's version. We programmed it up. But uh, anyway, here's it, Roland. This song effectively has two intros, intros doesn't it? Because it has an intro to the intro. It's like two intros. I guess so, yeah, yeah. Because uh, yeah. in the very first intro was Manu Kache's idea. Idea, exactly, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'd never thought about it in that terms. Because the, the kind of, the that kind of pushed beat carry continues on, but um, yeah, all this stuff, the was was something that Roland came up with later. So that when we were trying it before with 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 Chris and a few other musicians, because it never had the middle eight, which I'll point out when we get there, that the mid that we just had this kind of long jam in the middle, which I just never quite understood the point of, and it seemed to get longer and longer. <laughs> And so so did, it have the, being, did it have the drum break and the key change at that stage? No, no, that's the point. So it didn't have any of that right. stuff. Okay. And so really it was it was just half formed. And it was kind of, I couldn't say that I knew what was wrong with it, but it just, it always felt like we were banging our heads against the brick wall because it wasn't a complete song. So trying to make the, the middle bit longer and longer and more interesting just took it into a, an epic area that wasn't an epic like it turned out. It was just, I don't know, it wasn't really going anywhere. So um, anyway. Um, yeah, so this is a fantastic mix by Bob Clearmountain, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But um... well, I'll ask you about that now, actually, because okay. it's one yeah. of the two mixes that he did for the album. Yeah, yeah, and well, I believe this is the first song that was completed without the, the final mix that everyone was happy with. Is that correct? Well, it's a long convoluted story, like everything about this album. <laughs> the record company wanted someone else to mix the album before I'd even had a chance, which is obviously I wasn't very happy about. Um, but that was the times, and that's what happens all now, pretty much all the time. So um, we tried a guy who 
who was very famous but just didn't work out. And then we said, well, if anybody's going to do it, let's get Bob Clearman to do it because we both, Roland and I both loved him. Um, he came in and initially did Sowing the Seeds of Love, which he freely admits he didn't get right at all. He was quite shocked when Roland came in and said, no, it's completely wrong. Scrap it, move on. He just didn't get the flavour of it, I think. I mean, it's a quite a, I just don't know. I think it wasn't, he didn't get the beetliness of it, I guess. Um, so in, in layman's terms, for people who don't really know about mixing, which is like most people, yeah. like I don't really understand the, the technicalities, what would be, like for what he did with Women in Chains, what did he actually yeah. change to what you already had that was recorded? Okay, well, it's very hard. It's hard to say, really. I mean, well, the, the I might this might make sense. The brief that Roland gave him from Woman in Chains was make it like the feel of Avalon by Roxy Music, which Bob Clearman had already mixed, which is lush, lots of reverb, depth to it, classy, you know, all of which this mix is. So he got that spot on. Um, whereas Sowing the Seeds of Love, maybe he didn't have the, quite the same brief, but um, I mean, he's so modest, Bob, that for, for quite a long time afterwards, he'd mentioned it in interviews, you know, regardless of the fact he's mixed a million fantastic sounding records, he'd always <laughs> say that's the one that got away. Um, yeah, so we mixed this. All that middle bit we just heard was um, a new section. That was there. a new bit. Yeah. And then um, the big drum, Phil Collins drum break coming up. Yeah, so the uh, Phil Collins session, that was just a one-off yeah. session. Is it true that it was, Hugh, Pad was... Hugh Padgham was there as well? Is that yeah, true? That's right, yeah. Phil wanted Hugh because obviously he, you know, Hugh's his longtime partner, uh, engineer, engineer and producer. So he knew that um, Hugh would get the right the sound he wanted. Um, I suggested getting Phil in because I'd worked on a Genesis album a few years before that and I knew how great he was. Which, which Genesis album? Uh, Duke. I've been assistant. Oh, okay, I, right. Yeah. Uh, but there is a little rumour going around uh, the studios that, uh, that apparently Roland was lost his temper with Phil because doing that, <laughs> trying to get that big drum feel, the big dramatic moment. Yes, the, the, in the Air Tonight one he wanted, yeah. yeah. It, it's bullshit. I mean, obviously, okay. it was, he said it as a joke. He said, come on, Phil, you, you invented the big <laughs> Phil. So we, but we did actually compile that feel out of about, oh, God, you know, 20 different takes or something. And um, just to move the old conversation on, that's a, another thing about why the album took so long because the technology was had developed to the point where we could do all the stuff that you could do now, almost, but it, everything took about 100 times longer. So um, the possibilities of compi compiling loads of different drum takes, for example, was for the first time available to us, but it meant an incredibly tedious process with swapping tapes around, and, and now you can do it in a computer in seconds. So, But that's one of the reasons, that, honestly, that's why the album took so long. I mean, there's lots of other reasons too, but... Um, Anyway, that's, that's one of my. I just think that's, that track is absolutely wonderful. It's, yeah, it's, it's got a world, it's life of its own, and sometimes it's one of those tracks that um, I suddenly think, oh, I was was I something to do with that? It's almost like, a, <laughs> well, I, I know I was because I can remember the, the process. That one and a couple of other songs were, were tortured to make, but really said so, that. So from yeah. start to finish, how long did that song take from the very first that time? That song, oh, well, it's really hard to quantify because we worked on it. Well, as you know, the album sort of rumored to take about two years, and there's only eight songs on it. And I say there was a disproportionate amount of time on that one and a couple of other ones. So, um, you know, I don't know, whatever, a few months, I guess, in all. But really, it wasn't just working. I mean, by the time we got to that version, it was fairly quick, you know, comparatively. So the intro to this song, that was an improvisation, wasn't it? That was in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. yeah, this was from the, the so-called jam sessions at Townhouse, which... Uh, yeah. As you know, it was Mano Cacce on drums, Pino Palladino on bass, Carl Steele on percussion, Roland on keyboards, Neil Taylor on guitar, 
And um, is that it? Yeah, I think that was it. Um, was, was Simon Clark on organ or was that an overdub? Uh, that was, I think that was an overdub. Was he there? No, maybe he was there at the time. I can't remember now. I think he might have been there at the time. We certainly overdubbed a lot of stuff with him. He's a fantastic organ player. But um, yeah, I just had to listen to this before we started this interview and I, I'd sort of forgotten actually. It does sound great. I'm really pleased with it. Yeah. You know, it's just, this is kind of, I think, was what, what I think, I think Roland might agree that this is the kind of uh, fulfilment of what he was after with this album, which is this organic, you know, um, everything he was trying to get away from with touring the the, uh, the Songs in the Big Chair album, which where he's so limited and frustrated by the, having to play to machines and not being able to vary the arrangements. And famously, when he saw Alita in Kansas, she was so the opposite of that. She was soulful, and um, uh, and that's this is what he wanted to get. I think he wanted to work with great musicians. We spent a lot of time at Townhouse doing various jams because he was just enjoying it. And why not? You know, nothing better than playing with great players. And I say not all of it worked out, but this one certainly did. Um, so, so the the Kurt standing down from bass duties. How was that conversation handled? Because it seemed like Kurt well, was up for it. He, he thought it was best for the album, but no. I mean, I think also this is probably well-known, but Kurt really wasn't around much for this album. There's various reasons. First of all, he's having problems in his, his personal life. Yeah. A lot of time he's in New York. And Roland, this is very much really Roland's vision. I've got to ask that certain man waiting just to scratch my face line. Yeah. That sounds like Kurt singing that, That's is it? That's Kurt on that one, yeah. That is Kurt. So how did, yeah. how did he come to sing that one line? Um, I don't remember now. I mean, we just thought it was a perfect line for him. It just needed a little, little interest, different voice there. So he was around um, for that day. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice touch. But also the other thing I should say is that Kurt was never interested in the day-to-day, minute-by-minute sitting in the studio. I mean, it's an incredibly tedious process if you're not into that. And he wasn't, but he was great having an overview of things. Um, less so with this album. I mean, I think they, you know, this didn't leave him as much room, maybe, um, as previous albums to come in. I mean, although, well, I'll get to it on the next song, actually, but um, his, one of his greatest contributions is Sown the Seeds of Love. But um, so he wasn't around. So there wasn't really a discussion. I mean, it was once Chris Hughes had left the project, Annie and Stanley, um, it, when it was just me and Roland, Roland was in the, in the zone of just playing with these great players. And it was a, it was a whole team of session guys. So Kurt, you know, wasn't really, didn't want to be there. Wasn't really, you know, he kind of off the scene of it by then. So after the townhouse sessions, was he? Did he ever play? Put a bass line down after that, or was everything um, tracks before? I don't think he did. Right. I don't so, think he did. So when no. he basically on the other six tracks, he played the bass for the basic track, and then that would be it, pretty much in terms of his bass playing. Um, yeah, I remember. I mean, a lot of it was some of the other tracks were Pino Palladino, but a lot of it was, was maybe programmed bass, uh, right. uh, synth- synthetic bass. So I think. This is the only track he's actually playing on on, on bass. Oh, sorry, sorry, not this one. Um, Sowing the Seeds of Love. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah, I believe so, from memory. So that's not him on Woman in Chains? No, no. That's um, the beginning, beginning bit, which we were talking about, is the the very first bit yeah. is Roland, which is just sampled and looped round, and then it's Pino playing oh, the rest wow. of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I'm trying to think yeah. about the other tracks. So an advice for the uh, for the young at heart, that's not him playing bass on that. That's programmed, that's programmed bass on that. Just so in the seas of love. Okay, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of him being a sounding board then, so he would come in and make a, like, yeah, suggestions. Yeah, that was always, he was brilliant, brilliant to that, you know, I mean, because we're, it's, he was the opposite, really. We were, obviously, when you're so close and we were so 
into this project in terms of time spent and the detail that you needed someone who would come in and say, well, sometimes kind of obvious things that you just miss. And that's, that was the, what he was great at. So, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it's, it sounds, it's very easy because he wasn't around all the time to sort of, um, you know, downplay his contribution, but it was very, very important. Yeah. And then was it true? You talk about then the natural feel of the live feel, and that was what Ronan was looking for. But yeah. he still spent weeks editing the drums. Is that we correct? We did, as I said before. I mean, that's what everyone does. That you know, certainly we always used to, but um, do it to a certain extent. It's just that technology had advanced, so we could do it to an almost infinite extent, which we almost <laughs> infinitely did. But nowadays, you would be able to do that in Pro Tools on a computer in. You know, we could have done it in a day. It took us weeks because, I mean, just to fill you in, I mean, I'm not going to bore you with the technical stuff, but every time we wanted to listen to a different take, and there'd probably be like 20 takes, it meant usually meant changing a reel of tape downstairs, which was like down three floors, <laughs> down three flights of stairs. I'd be running up and down, changing this thing, and then you have to find different time code offsets for every different tape. It, yeah, and it sounds complicated, and it really was. It was a real pain in the ass, but we didn't know at the time it was just something we'll be all, wow we can do this let's do it great you know those sort of you couldn't do that literally just a few years before and then a few years afterwards you could do it a lot more a lot more easily so, so when you when you're doing that for weeks how can you tell what's good and what isn't when you're that's a lot of it's down to rather than when he, he had a, a sound in his head that he was after uh, perseverance to get there i mean it's he enjoys being in the studios i mean there are definite types who enjoy being in the studio and, and people who don't and Kurt and Roland are a perfect example of that. Um, but he loves the process. When we're doing most of it, the editing was done at his house, a lovely studio upstairs, and we were having a nice life. I mean, I've said this before. <laughs> it was, we were, you know, I think it was kind of his reward for the success of Songs in the Big Chair, if you like, where he didn't want to be limited by the pressure of the, the, the pop single. You know, he just wanted to spread his wings. And um, so this was an enjoyable process for him. And you earned the right to be self-indulgent a little bit. Well, a little bit, yeah. I mean, that's that's my criticism with the album. A bit. I mean, I I, I go through phases with it, and um, uh, it's, it's you know it's not necessarily my favourite of theirs, but um, you come back to it, and there's some fantastic stuff on there. Yeah. But I think, yeah, the danger is obviously it can get self-indulgent when you know. I mean, I'm, I was not like Chris Hughes, where I was sort of pushing him all the time to go a certain way or get on with it or whatever, you know. So I was kind of his co-facilitator if you like so was there ever any worry about this song in particular because eight and a half minutes light it's kind of jazz ting tinged is there a worry about is this going to no. be our version of like spinal taps jazz odyssey or something that <laughs> in a well, self-indulgent or i don't think spinal it... that was come out then i don't maybe maybe it had yeah probably, probably yeah, yeah. no i don't think it was it? I Rollins, um I, mean, I think it's not a jazz odyssey this is it's a um little feet kind of tinged homage if you like um, they'd already been off to, to work with uh, Langer and Stanley before. Um, yes. yes. Did you um, hear that version on the box set? I did actually. That's the what first I've heard of it. Well, that's precisely the point you were making. Is is that it's it's really not good. I mean, it's not not blaming them at all. Uh, Langer and Stanley, I mean, they're fantastic. But Roland hadn't really found his direction or way of way of going then. So it's pretty much like a sort of Tears for Fears, old Tears for Fears style. I'd call it. With, you know, it's all programmed. It's all quite clinical sounding. And I think this recording of Bad Man's song is a reaction to that. Um, and it, it's so much better. It works brilliantly. It's, it's just real players with real emotion, you know. So, um, and it just suits this song. I mean, you couldn't do a song any other way. And that's 
evidenced by the previous, the earlier version, I think. Um, so I've got to ask about Alita Adams, because obviously that's the second vocal of hers. She's a sort of fantastic musician who just sings what you what you want to hear. I mean, she doesn't put a, she doesn't put a foot wrong, really. I mean, that's the thing. It, was, it, was, it wasn't a question of sort of, oh, that bit's no good. Do it again. It was like, oh, my God, which fantastic take are we going to use here? Was there, was there talk of this being the first track of the album? Or Yes, actually, I wanted it as the first track. I think probably Kurt did as well, and probably the record company. Um, I think Rose actually said that maybe it should have been now, but who cares? But um, I mean, sorry, I don't care. <laughs> who cares what he thinks? I mean, it's, <laughs> but I mean, Woman in Chains was definitely his. I think Woman in Chains is a perfect album track. It is, yeah. And um, it's funny, actually, I keep thinking of it in terms of the running order of Songs in the Big Chair, which is, it, running orders are quite tricky, and that was so right. Yeah. And I think inherently we sort of maybe try to... I mean, there's another famous story about the running order where we went to master this thing in New York and realised the running order wasn't right and some of the mixes weren't right. So the roadie flew out with different versions and we spent ages um, while people rejuggled their juggled their time around, re recompiling it. And um, so, yeah, it, we thought we'd never get the thing finished. So, what, so was anyway, the, what was the running order then? That was wrong? Oh, I can't remember now. But I can remember, <laughs> well, originally, this, we'd, um, originally Year of the Knife was supposed to be the first track. Yes, it's uh, that long intro, isn't it? Yeah, that idea, would, yeah. that idea would be in the dust, but it was, oh, I can't remember now. I might remember later when, we, when this is in my, in my head. Um, when I've heard some of the other songs, it may come back to me. But uh, that's, a, that's a mad opening track, isn't it? Year of the Knife. Trying to imagine that as the first track. That well, the whole point was, it, again, it was coming from this Roland's uh, experience of live, where he wanted the, uh, the, uh, the vision, the idea was to have this big, it's called like a prelude. I think there is a version on the great, on the um, yeah. extras with this huge, great sort of pompous intro, which is supposed to be the intro music, and then the band kicking in. And, you know, it's one of the many weirdnesses about that song. Anyway, so that got that idea uh, got relegated to um, from first to nearly last. But anyway, this this song is just... This is uh, one of my favourite ones to do, really, because this was the, the original band, if you like, Chris Hughes, Kurt, Roland on keyboards, Ian Stanley on brilliant organ, playing away, and... Um, it's got is, is this the only track that Ian Stanley plays on? Yeah, album? yeah, yeah. So he was just here for the sessions for this album. Is that the initial yeah, session? Well, he got, um, I mean, I say they started with Langham with Stanley and uh, then they got in Chris. And I think Chris wanted Ian back in to get the team back together. Yeah, and they did have another engineer, I don't know who that was, um, and that didn't work out. So they asked me to come back in as well. Um, and Ian was, but I think Ian was always a bit reluctant. I think he kind of moved on, he was doing his own thing. He was having you know, quite a successful AR career. And, produ- and producing other artists. So I don't think he really wanted to go back to being just the keyboard player and so on. Um, but his keyboards on this were brilliant. We've got to talk about the chorus as well then. Do you remember yeah. the day when Kirk came up with the, um, what is <laughs> the hook of the, the song? I wasn't there for that. So that's ah. all apocryphal for me. But I can, that's exactly what I was talking about. It's the bit that the receptionist at the studio was whistling. And understandably, Roland was not miffed, but you know, just thinks I've, I've made this amazing body of work here <laughs> with all these incredibly intricate things. I mean, it's a fantastic. Kurt thing. comes along with the little nursery rhyme thing, and that's yeah. not that is not a, you know to diss it at all because it's it's a simplicity, and that's it's what it's in that's essence what Kurt was yeah. great at, you know. But this is just wonderful. I'm just... And you say in the booklet that "Piggy in the Middle" by the Ruttles was the. Um... I think Basically it was that the one. tempo. Yeah. I think to be anyone who thinks that, because Roland thinks it's I'm the Walrus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Is that what you told him? Was I'm the Walrus? Uh, no, no. I mean, that was the obvious. I mean, it, well, a piggy in the middle is, is a, a spoof of I'm the Walrus anyway. But yeah, yeah. It's kind of academic, really. But uh, 
Yeah, it was very straightforward, really. It sounds very, very complicated. A lot of people say, God, how did you... There's actually quite a lot of this? lot of different bits to the song. There so are a lot of bits. Yeah. yeah. But they're kind of... It's not as... Um, there isn't so much going on in terms of instrumentation as this, some of the other ones. Can I just ask about Although this? It sounds the, like can I just ask about this bit? The time... This bit that Kurt sings. Did Kurt come up with this bit as well, or was this? No, I think that was Roland's. That was Roland's bit. But Kurt singing singing it first. Singing along, yeah. Okay. It's a a really lovely combination. That that bit. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. Yeah, but I remember Roland's wife saying, "Oh, I love that sound of that bit. Why can't the rest of it sound like that?" (laughs) (laughs) There was a. I think it was in in place where Kurt and Roland are singing together. Yeah, yeah, because they don't do that on the records, did they? Because I was thinking about the counter melody in Head Over Heels. Yeah. Nothing ever happens when you're like that's Roland singing that, isn't it? Yes, I think it is. Yeah. Why did yes, Kurt is, not yeah. sing that bit? Because then that was it. Just he wasn't around. No, 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 no. It's never. <laughs> it was always a question of who suited the song. Okay. You know, as as you know, when we get to advice for the young heart, that Roland tried that and it just didn't work at all. So, but when Roland's songs initially suited Kurt much better, and then as Roland got more confident and his songs started, maybe started writing in terms of his own voice more. Um, there was less for, for Kurt to do, and obviously that was. A problem with this album and, and continue to be really it's, it's the way things develop and how complete was the song before chris hughes left the sessions was it pretty oh um, the backing track was all done so the main bones were there i think we've done drum his chris's choose chris's drums we'd edited he'd edited we'd done kurt's bass i done kurt's vocals i think so yeah, the main kind of rhythm parts, Ian's organ was all from the live takes. So, but all the sort of orchestration, if you like, all the kind of vocoder and, and string bits, that was all done later. And that was again, that was Roland's. Roland's great, did a fantastic arrangement job on that. It's, you know, again, it was quite sort of organised. So, was um, all was it all arranged on the demo then? Yeah, did you have a demo with all these? No, 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 no. I mean. I never, don't think I've ever heard the demo. Well, maybe it's on the extras. I don't know. But no, I think I think from what I've heard, it was Chris's kind of idea to maybe beetle it up even more. But all the kind of a lot of the instrument, the orchestration stuff was wasn't on the demo. So it's yeah, it changed it in flavour quite a lot. I think. Oh, and as Chris said in another interview, there were there were other sections that I never got to hear. Advice for the young at heart. Now, yeah. was it always going to be Kurt singing this one? No, that's what I say. Roland. Roland did have a go at singing it, but it just didn't work. It didn't, just didn't sound right. And as I said, certain songs, certain people. But yeah. that's perfect for Kurt. This. And this is one of the ones that uh, Roland wrote with Nicky Holland. And to be honest, it's not one of my favourites. So I don't know how much I can say about this. But uh, okay. we did. I think we did a lot of. We'd obviously tried this with in the probably in the townhouse sessions. We tried it a few different ways. This is one of the ones they'd started working on before I joined the sessions so i think we might have kept bits and pieces from those original uh, no maybe not not on this one i don't think i think we started again but it didn't fundamentally change from no. the, uh, the original version do you think the idea was to write a single for this one because it does sound like it's kind of designed well, that's for what it, radio that's what it became. i don't think that yeah. was the intention really i don't think um i don't think Roland's one of those people who, who does sit down to write a single actually it's you know i think a lot of people will say it's quite apparent once you started working on something and it starts taking on a personality. You think, yeah, that is a single. That could be a single. And you, sometimes you, that dictates how you produce it and how it, it's going to turn out. But I think, to be honest, we, we both thought, we all thought Saving Seeds of Love and Women in Chains were going to be 
Well, Sergeant Seuss in Love was, but Women in Chains didn't do as well as we hoped. So this was kind of the um, the one that would save save the day a little bit in terms of a single. But I don't think it was necessarily designed as one. So how you got involved in the Seas of Love? How did you actually yeah. get that first like interaction back with the band? Well, as I say, they'd been with another engineer. I mean, they gradually they were kind of getting the the whole team back, Chris and Ian, and they'd had another engineer who didn't work out for whatever reason. Uh, in the meantime, I produced, I'm not stayed friends with Roland and I'd, he'd been around to dinner a few times and I played him a few things I've been doing. And I'd um, produced, particularly I produced a band called Danny Wilson. Yes, Mary's Tano. Prayer. I didn't realize you'd produced yeah. Mary's Prayer. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks. And then uh, Roland and Kurt both liked that album a lot. In fact, Roland much preferred Davy, which is the lead track on that album. He didn't particularly like Mary's Prayer. Okay. But I think, uh, <laughs> but anyway, they'd heard that and they knew what I could do on my own. A question about Nikki Holland. So the songs yeah. that she co-wrote, was she in the studio throughout for those? Or just no, I think she was involved at the early stage before I came in. But um, no, I think she once she'd done her writing, that was in the, pretty much the end of her involvement. I mean, she came in a couple of times. I think she played the piano on um, Famous Last Words, if I remember rightly. I think that was her. And she did her vocals on, she does a little vocal on her advice of the inner heart. Can I ask a quick question about this guitar solo? Oh, yeah. I love the sound of this guitar solo. How did you get this sound? Is it Randy Jacobs playing this or is it Roland? No, no. See, I don't know who Randy Jacobs is. Um, It definitely wasn't played. I don't ever met him, I don't think. I don't know who he is. (laughs) Oh, okay, right. Um, This was Robbie McIntosh. Uh, That's Robbie McIntosh. He's not credited on the album, is is it? Because he plays on Year of the Knife and uh, Badman's song. He does the solos. Oh, is that Roland? I can't remember now. I think that's Roland. I, I just love that one. guitar sound. How do you? It's get beautiful, guitar? isn't it? I think it's a Gibson three three five or something, if I remember rightly. But I don't. I can't remember. I've got a good memory for certain things and other things. Just, but that, I'm sure that was Roland actually. Yeah, I think he was probably. We we loved Robbie McIntosh from his work with Talk Talk, which is why we got him in to do various bits. And I think Roland sort of changed a few ideas of his own. Like I think he changed the depth of the strings on his guitar. They from a, went up a gauge to a heavier gauge technical thing but it kind of gives you a different feel yeah. and that sounds like it was kind of you know um, processing Robbie if you like that solo another th- another feature of, of this song that's a theme on the album is the instrumental sections I, yeah part of the whole song is that instrumental section which I don't, don't even do live now anymore but oh how, how are they uh, kind of written as part of the song by Roland or is this something that's worked on as a production thing I think in those examples it was all originally worked out by Roland and then the detail would be done uh, because obviously those the, the examples you mentioned, like this one, Swords and Knives and um, Year of the Knife were all post Chris, if you like, if you like, I think, in terms of the, those that detailed production on ornamentation on top. So that was something we worked out and we spent a lot of time doing that up at um, Roland's house. And that was, you know, we both really enjoyed that layering up and making textures and atmospheres. And, and the spoken advice at the end of the song. Yeah, was that just was that planned? Was that an improv? Oh yeah, yeah, that was definitely planned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so at the end of this take, you just just say advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tried it a few times, and he got one that just felt right. And pause. End of side one. This self-sufficiency thing really is amazing, you know, Rick. Like, we sow the seed, right? Nature grows the seed, and then we eat the seed, and then after that. We sow the seed, 
Nature grows the seed and then we eat the seed. Yeah. And then after that again, we sow the seed. Nature grows. Oh, shut up! Shut up! Shut up! I, mean, I can just think one example that Rowling with Rowling, which still makes me chuckle. In fact, on everybody wants to rule the world, Neil Taylor's guitar solo at the end is two takes. And um, when we joined them together, Roland said, I would switch him over here. And I said, oh, sounds a bit unnatural, doesn't it? Because he's actually quite a, a jump down the fretboard. And uh, he went, just fuck off and get on with it. Not in those words necessarily. But yeah, whatever. Just do it. Don't don't worry about this. Come on, you got to tell us which part of the song is that? Which part of the guitar solo That's, is it? Oh, it's... Uh, oh. Feel free to queue it up if you want. It's about two okay, and a half I will. Minutes. I will. Yeah. Can we do yeah. that now? Yeah, yeah, go all for right. it. Yeah, go. Yeah, it's all good. Okay, I've got to find it now. Hang on. Song's the big chair. Okay. All right, here we go. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's seamless. It wouldn't occur to anybody. It's one of those things that once you, once you hear it and it's pointed out, then you're going to hear it every time now. Well, I hope not. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I think you've ruined that song for me now. Dave, good, thanks. Good. It'll, yeah. it's, it's sales will stop. No more streams. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Thank you. Side two. Ready? Three, two, one, play. Standing on the corner of the third ward is the second of the townhouse songs. Yeah. In terms of deciding which of those sessions were going to make it to the album, what was the criteria for that? How they turned out, I think. Uh, that was simply that. It was. Uh, were there any others that were close to making the album from those sessions? Not really. Um, no, I mean, I'd forgotten that we jammed as many as we did. I mean, so listening to the Woman in Chains jam reminded me. So it must have gone. We probably just messed around with quite a lot of them, but um, some of them were never intended to be done that way it was just fun to play them uh, and other other ones would would give Roland inspiration and ideas as in Woman in Chains which I've mentioned um but this one I mean I think we we're all all of them, none of them were actually but maybe Bad Sang was Bad Band Song was an obvious contender for live in a townhouse this one um would have worked probably as a sort of more programmed studio version I suppose but once we tried it this way it just I mean, basically, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, it's got this little rhythm box going through it. So the drums initially aren't integral to it. They become that later. But yeah, you, I mean, you've got this brilliant playing. This Pino's bass is great. It's a lovely atmosphere. A very strong kind of Sting Peter Gabriel vibe to this. You think? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's that deliberate... part of that is Manu Capche, who, who yes. of course plays with, with Chris. Gabriel. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, listen to that woman in chains. I keep banging on about it, but the his rhythm part on the jams which then uh, Roland appropriated, was uh, almost a direct nick of the Robert Robertson track, um, standing somewhere down the crazy river, which oh, yes. Manu played on. So it's boom. Oh, he played on that, did he? Yes. I was going to say Robert Robertson as well, because that album, that is his first yes. album, he's got Daniel Lenoir yeah, yeah. kind of production to it. This same like so. Yeah, well, we loved all that. I mean, that's very much, yeah. that, kind of, that was the mood of the times with that moody atmosphere, which I think this certainly comes across in this one. And then, of course, we, we flew John Hassel in to do his trumpet on it. Um, it's a beautiful trumpet. There you go. 
There you go. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. But the thing I mean, about that is that he plays part of his sound is he always has a certain effect on it, which is is actually it's a harmonizer down a fourth in musical intervals, which gives him a sort of a mini chord every time he plays. And we when we recorded it, I had this on in his headphones. And there were, but um when we came to mix it, I'd never put it on. I'd liked it as it I just liked him sort of naked, if you like. Right. And I never found out what he thought about that. But um, it stands on its on its own feet very nicely anyway. It's it's kind of a song of two halves, this is it's like kind of gentle, really yeah, and then he in the first half, and it goes a bit kind of mad in the second half. Now this line here of the third world was actually written sung by Yaz. Yes, I I, I, yeah. I read the booklet and I couldn't believe yeah. it. So I actually emailed her to check this is true. And she confirmed. Oh, did she remember it? Yeah, she said it was, it was amazing. She really enjoyed oh. it. She thought Ronan was a genius. She said, Ah, oh, that's nice. So I was really that was before I was involved, so I, I just heard that from other people. So I've seen that as before. The only way is up. She I was don't just doing backing. Chronologically, I've got no idea. I don't have thought. I don't know why. I don't know how he got to meet. Or why she was there, so um, I couldn't tell you that. Had to that blew my mind when I read that in the booklet. It's like, can I have gone 30 yeah. years not knowing that Yaz was singing on that? But I think it's again, she wasn't credited, was she? No, um, and I, I didn't know what to mention it at first, but <laughs> <laughs> she got past Rowley. Right. But again, it's like, you know, it's, it's a similar thing to Sowing the Seeds of Love with Kurt coming, and it's when you hear these pieces, there's, there's so many great chords and melodies going on that it's tempting just to want to sing, come up the melody off the top of your hat. Like she did, and um, you know, and when Roland, when when you're in the middle of doing the detail, you forget to do that sometimes. So, I mean, not having said that, but Roland's obviously there's a hundred fantastic melodies going on. So you're saying the the Yaz came up with her part that she sang? No, she didn't sing it. That's um, that's she just came up with a part. Um, that's sung by some backing singers. I think it was oh Carol Kenyon and Tessa Niles. Tessa Niles. Yeah. Okay, so what? So Yaz wasn't physically there. No, 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 no. She, I think, she just came, came up for dinner or something, and who knows? Have to ask Roland that. And then so she, so I, I want to clarify this. this. Is quite so. Yaz at a dinner, kind of, he played her the song, and she went, "Yeah, how about this?" And then she sang well, she, the third she word. Say how about this? You just sing it spontane, spontaneously. Okay. I think everybody went, "Wow, that's great." <laughs> so she's not actually on the record then. No, she? no. Oh, it's right. a very kind of spontaneous line, I think. But I don't think it was meant as a serious suggestion necessarily, but uh, they used it. That's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. this this last minute is is a bit mad. Yeah, it kind of goes a bit kind of. What was the what do you think was the thinking behind this? Well, it's this is the nature of a lot of those jams where the people would go off into all sorts of tangents. When you're playing stuff over and over and over again, which we were, um, there'd be lots of these kind of moments. And this is one that just Roland just latched onto. It kind of goes into double time thing at the end. I think it's the closest it gets to Jazz Odyssey, this album. Well, probably, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I think that's, yes, that's, there's a little bit overkill on the on the, on the the end, and there's too much reverb, as there is on a lot of these tracks. Was it was the, the age time. of reverb, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And that one certainly suffered a little bit from that. Uh, okay, okay, so... Well, I've got a separate question, actually. When was the last time you listened to the whole album and started to finish in one go? I remember um, a few years ago, I think. I don't think I'm, I don't listen to whole albums very much anymore. And particularly, can you, can you actually listen to an album you've produced or engineered or mixed and actually enjoy it as a listening experience, or can you just well, hear the recording? Well, pointed sessions? out something um, actually about the other day, which is very true. I think initially you just hear what's wrong with it, uh, and it takes a while just to 
particularly when you hear it on the radio, you just think, ah, oh, that's fine. It's, but what was I worrying about? Um, so um, with this, I still listen to it and I think, yeah, certain things could have been a bit better or you know less reverby or whatever. So, but I listened to bits of it, as I said, before we did this interview, and I thought, wow, this is really great, some of this. So, um, it's aged well, like, hasn't it? Sorry? It's aged well. It has aged well, I think. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. Otherwise, it hasn't, but as a, as a, as yeah. I think as, as a whole, that's why maybe it's not my favourite. I, I might listen to songs from the big chair. I listened through to that on the Twitter party the other week, and I'm just hearing it in the studio, I was just amazed, actually. I was quite incredible, uh, you know. It's, yeah, that's a, that's a flawless this one doesn't, album. Doesn't do it for me as a whole. It's, it's you know the individual elements. Some of them are fantastic. It doesn't really do it as a whole in the same way. So would you say this is one of the weaker tracks? I really like this one actually, but yes, it's, it is. Um, it's a bit like um, Mother's Talk, I suppose, in the terms of most of the people. A lot of people. It's a bit Ooh. Marmite, you know. You either love it. Oh, don't don't be dissing Mother's Talk. You haven't no, listened to the podcast. Oh. That's my point. And I'm rolling with I think it's a master. I think Mother's Talk is a masterpiece. Don't get me started on Mother's Talk. I love it. I love it to death. Yeah. I was yeah. digging out the multi track the other day and it's, it's a brilliant song. Um, so, in, in the, But this is very much an album track and I think a lot of people could probably leave it. I actually really like it, um, particularly the instrumental section. That was such yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, that's the that. bit I was going to mention yeah. that I think yeah. that's absolutely brilliant, the instrumental yeah. bit. Well, this song, the essence of it was pretty much done before I got involved. A lot of stuff changed. I think the main drums we redid, but the instrumental section, the um, there's some gorgeous string things that came in that apparently Jack from Wang Chung did much earlier, before my time, and they'd been left to one side. I'd never even listened to them until we got close to finishing it, and I said, "Oh, I said, listen to those," and they're brilliant. I'll point them out when they come up. But yeah, most of this thing, most of this section was done with uh, Roland's house later on. Um, there's various things going on like we I wanted it to mess around with this harmonizer device same device I mentioned before with John Hassel so when Roland's voice comes in with all these weird harmonies going on underneath oh yes that robotic bit, yeah. sounding yes um, yes you know so we just we were, we're experimenting and with things like this um, I mean for instance that guitar that was done before but the drum playing the guitar did. is that all Roland, Roland. That's that's that is all Roland, Roland. yeah yeah it's pretty much all rather than I think this track. Because that's quickly, you said Jack from Wang Chung yeah. was involved with the strings in, in the string well, section. That that, Chris is so, I mean, this Because he produced the album, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so is that stuff still in the record, in the final, in the finished record? Yeah, yeah. I think I've wow. coming up. I've, is he credited well, on the album? I don't think so. Another one I shouldn't have mentioned. <laughs> that's fine. Um, that's okay. But all these other way the drums drop out there. This is this is all rolling. It's just I love it. I love this section. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's brilliant. This best this song. I mean, finally, I love it. The, the the main part, of the, the song part, isn't quite so, so strong for me actually. It's, the mix isn't great, and um, but Roland excelled. I mean, he's, so many areas, but doing this sort of stuff, he it was really what he enjoyed. I think because there's no press, no commercial pressure on. He just just go where he wanted to and it's if that makes sense so it's liberating oh, yeah, so all didn't have strings, to, yeah. yeah i mean that's all from the fairlight um synth it's, it just sounds so epic it sounds it quite does, yeah. cinematic 
yeah, I think these big strings rising up are jacks. And um, I mean, it was done very early on, so it's kind of lucky that it still fitted. But it was, a, I mean, it's not in the, he probably wouldn't even notice it. It's just I happen to know that was him. So, yeah. But there are all these weird vocals here. It's the bit you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. That's the sort of stuff Roland could come up with very easily in the studio. We've both sat here listening to the song now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love this. But again, it's, it's the drums. Is, is this Nicky Holland playing the, the keyboards on this? Uh, I don't know. I think it probably is. Yeah, that was done before my time. But yes, I imagine it is. All those guitar bits, that's Roland as well. Yeah, now that old stuff was never meant to be there. It was all him mucking about. Right. And uh, and again, I'd... I'd so was that like left in the mix it. accidentally or was it just... Well, no, I, put that in? It. I just sort of thought, leave it in. And he sort of said, no. And I, so I took it out and it just sounded a bit boring. So I sort of left it in. I mean, those days you had to, you couldn't... I mean, nowadays you could just easily in the computer, you just get rid of all that stuff. It yeah. was more difficult then. And you just left all those odds and sods, mistakes lying around. The so saying, so in, saying in you the left mix. it in because you couldn't be bothered to take it out is what you're saying, actually. <laughs> no. Yeah. But I had got used to it because it, we hadn't bothered taking it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it became part of the song. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lovely transition here. Into it, yes, it's, just, really it's well. basically like one long track, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah. 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 It's like part part two. Yeah. So yeah. So this is a song I think is it's quite a mad song. It's song that I've had the biggest kind of reevaluation of over the years. <laughs> I've, I think it's kind of gone from a three-star song to a four-star song. Like, I've really never liked this song. I've always had really because Kurt didn't like this either, did he? No, I think it's. I never understood it really. It's a long track to not like, it's, isn't it? Big... People, it was much longer than that originally. With the intro. And, uh, oh. <laughs> so, so what? Tell me how well, you I, I, how how do you motivate yourself to produce a track you just do not like? Um. Well, you're paid to, aren't you? <laughs> so, uh, you know, but surely it must show no, as a producer to the artist. You're always trying like... to find a way to make it work, really. But I think in my back of my mind, but I, I wasn't really so much a producer on this. As, as I say, I'm a co-producer. I'm not going to turn around. And, it wasn't me to say, turn around up to me to say, well, actually, I think I did. But I said, look, we didn't have any other songs to choose from in a nutshell. But I think if we had, I would have pushed for this to be... So rhythm, rhythm of life was never a serious contender then. No, I don't know why that didn't work actually. But um, but I think would you, would you have preferred that to this to this song? Would you, if you had the choice? I don't know. <laughs> I can't judge that now. No, well, actually, the, the strength of this and the reason that it's there at all is because it's rocky. These are a bit unlike anything on the album, and that's why another record company were keen on it. I mean, after I'd gone from this album, they were still trying to make it into a single. There's so many uh, edits on the box set. Of yeah. it. They're clearly yeah. desperate oh, to try yeah. and make this. Well, this is why I think this is the one we took the longest on. Uh, and the famously, it's, this is half Bob Clearman's mix and half my mix of a completely different version. Yes, um, I, re- I reread the booklet yeah. and then listened to it again. In, yeah. it's, it's quite amazing when you actually hear that. The, the yeah. Strawberry Fields Forever edit. Yeah. <laughs> As I said in the booklet, I mean, that was again something we did in New York at the Mastering because, um, well, you probably know this already, but. Kurt and I both preferred my version and Roland and mm. the record company guy, Dave Bates, preferred this version um, because it's like, it's more rocky. It's more American sounding, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I said, I find I'm not going to argue. 
So we used this. Then Roland said, "Just edit in that little section at the end, which I point out if I remember, yeah. where the little the sound effects come in." The and the idea was in, yeah. just to edit that in and then go back to the end section of Bob's version. And I just left it running. And um, I said, "Come have a listen to this. this is, I think this is great." And so you suddenly get a little bit different in, difference in feel at the end, where it is it's a real drummer and it all gets a bit more lively. Yeah, if you don't mind me saying, it's kind of genius how you've done that with the sound effect. It kind of because it's it's absolutely flawless. Even once you know, because I mean, the strawberry feels forever. Once you know where the join yeah. is, you cannot yeah. ever hear that song again. Different, you know, the yeah. same way. Well, I think that's probably. Whereas this, it actually works seamlessly. Yeah. Well, it's, so it's in that great, sense, great. in that sense, year of the knife is better than strawberry feels forever. There you go. Well, yeah, but I mean, Bob did an absolutely genius. This whole section coming up was a bit of a mess. There's so much, so many guitar ideas. I mean, basically. We would keep coming back to this and trying new guitars, new points. None of which really made a bit of a difference, but ended up being a huge amount of clutter on the tapes. And this dropout here, where it all goes, it all cuts off, is, is just down to Bob Clearman. So we've got this chaos stuff here, and then you're saying in the original recording and the first yeah. mix, this would all be populated with instruments. Now this little cut here, where he just cuts it in those little, and it goes down to that section. Yeah, it was always the intention, but just the way he, he did it was more dramatic than we'd imagined, I think. This is what I'm trying to clarify um, about, like from a layman's terms, how? How did he make it sound different to what you've um, done before? Oh. So it makes sense to a normal person like me listening. What was the well, difference in his mix? Um, well, one thing is that it's more drum heavy and more American sounding. But then but that particular moment, um, he just clarified the vision of it. He understood what we're trying to get at, where we hadn't quite figured it out ourselves. So as I say, there's all those weirdly little guitars that were floating around. They kind of carried on before, and we hadn't really right. worked out how we were going to get it to morph into the next section. But he just cut everything dead, and there were some echoes hanging over, which are which are very nice. So it makes a little it's a little um, theatrical moment, if you like, um, which we hadn't really thought envisaged. It creates a little division. Um, so yeah, it's 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 not as sounds like I'm over bigging it up, but it's just typical of the sort of overview he would have had and originally this this song was written um was inspired by um american girl american by, girl the, um, the drum beat tom petty yeah tom petty so uh it was i know it was supposed to be the opening track of the album so it was supposed to be a rock up uh, rock track you know does um, that mean that he wrote the song to that beat or that he wrote the song and then thought let's use that no beat he wrote the, the song bass? he wrote the song to that beat um as far as i'm aware but i think that's pretty i'm pretty sure yeah we're coming up to your bit, the bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. There's something I, I don't want to talk over it, so we can like build up to it. But I mean, it's the same song. So, same oh, to this point, it's just program drums, right? This is program drums. This is now real drums. This is Simon Phillips playing drums. So where exactly? So are we already there? No, we passed it. Yeah, it was we passed it. Okay. So, yeah. So I can't actually tell the exact moment when it goes from program to real. It's not like so. It's before the sound effect, then. Yes, before the sound effects. But I mean, this has got a much more organic and lively feel which is why i think kurt and i preferred the whole thing being like this but it didn't you know maybe well whatever we ended up with is the best combination for it i think it's so weird because i can hear how it is better but yet it still sounds yeah but i think so, the whole you know song I mean? being with this approach probably wouldn't have worked so well so. why would it not have worked with this all the way through well i don't know you have to ask roland and dave bates that well it's a bit more messy i suppose the other one's much more rock and kind of i don't know i don't know how to describe it really this version would have gone more with Roland's ethos of more well, natural. Well, that's true. That kind is of... true. But also, I think remember it wasn't Roland wasn't just pure about that. He's also loved. Well, we love Born to Run. You know, with that huge great snare. Drum. So yes. right. when 
which was Bob Clearman. So, you know, he got this big rock drum sound. Even though you weren't keen on the song, it was it was earmarked to be the first track. Uh, originally, yeah, with this, with, with as as you've heard the the sort of prelude overture thing originally was, was supposed to be um, there, like an intro tape. But uh, it was almost like an afterthought. When Bob mixed there, we did have that this big overture in there, the, the music, the dom dom dom, and then almost the last minute, Roland said, "Let's just run one off without that." So we just left it with a little rhythm box ticking away, which is so much more atmospheric. And now it seems like an obvious thing to do. But I mean, the, the little rhythm boss wasn't there originally. It was literally, originally <laughs> it was just these big chords. And then as it morphed over the, the years, the little rhythm box went in and we, suddenly, and we realized that that was actually more atmospheric. But yes, that was the idea to have this as the opening track, like like a live a live band would have a, a, you know, an up-tempo opening song. Right. It's a famous last word. So. Beginning, someone says, let's take another five minutes. Is that you? Oh, no, that's Roland. That's, that's, that's Roland. taken from one of the, the jams we were doing. Um, oh, is it? Okay. And all this little, these little percussion noises is Carol Steele mucking around on a shaker. Okay. Um, yeah, so that'll be from just atmosphere taken from townhouse. Right. Okay. That's good. Yeah. Um, now, suggestion that Kurt might have had a go at the vocal for this. Is that true? And did Kurt he sing any of the songs at any point? Any of the what songs? Any of the other songs. Did he like, have a go at doing the vocal for any of the songs? Like, <sighs> I said to Chris, this is the only song I can imagine him actually singing. True, actually. He may have done, because I know a few people... Well, we actually got, um, I think it was David Was in, from Was Not Was, who... Um, yes, because uh, that's, that's who Randy Jacobs is. He was in the Was Not Was oh, band. And right, I think okay. The, okay. They, they both went to see them at the Town and Country Club in 88. Right. And then invited them back. Right. I remember reading about David Was, because I think Was Not Was are a great band. Yeah, yeah. I think, what the hell would David Was have contributed towards Tears Well, it was Tears? interesting. It was, a really, it was a really bold move. It just didn't work. And he knew it was all amicable. He sort of was aware that it didn't really work out. Um, but this was a difficult vocal for Roland to do. So what, very, what was the, sorry? What great. was David was? What was he trying to do? He basically sounded like Tom Waits. I think was the idea. So, well, like, like speak, speak the words. Not speaking it, no, but um, gruff. You know, um, I mean, I don't really remember, but I think it's it was a great idea. Could have been really good, just wasn't. And you would have done the whole song. Yeah. Yep. That would have been a, a left yeah, turn, wouldn't it? It was interesting. And originally, yeah. he wanted Tom Waits to have a go at it. Is that? Uh, do you know that? I didn't know that. That was. Um, I don't know. That was. In, I think that was in the booklet. I think they. I might be. Oh, I see. Maybe I'm conflating things. And maybe, maybe David Walls was. was um, I may have got that wrong. That maybe we just wanted David Walls to be David Walls. Yeah, Ronan <laughs> says we approached Tom Waits to sing that verse. It would have been worked brilliantly. But he said no. Oh. Tears of fears. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. Yeah. It would have been great. I mean, it is a kind of smoky. So I can yeah. totally see it. And I was also saying, I think Roland had a trouble getting this because it is so fragile. So this isn't a um, Kurt's bass line then? This is a no. programmed bass? This is all programmed. But the whole track is programmed apart from Nicky Holland's piano. It's, it's such a wonderful last minute and a half to the it album. Is isn't it? It's isn't it? absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. So um, come to the end of the album. Um, so if, if there's one single element of one song you could change right now forever mm. and just make that change what would it be okay i'll put less reverb on the end of the vocal on famous last words it's totally swamped <laughs> <laughs> and that is a very engineers that, most people wouldn't even notice it would they yeah this isn't an artistic thing at all really no i mean 
there's lots and lots of little things on this album that maybe I would have changed, so I don't really want to get... I think really it probably could have done with a couple more songs, really. Different songs, really. Right. I mean, I think, you know, perhaps... Well, Swords of Night, I don't know which ones, but... Um, Let's think, because some of the songs go back to 85, so that's four years to live with the same yeah. songs. So, I mean, inevitably, I think that's one reason why they went through a lot of changes while Ryan was trying to find the right direction. Yeah, it is always, I think, a bit of a about you know a, a, the wrong road to take too long or anything because you'll want to go back and change stuff that was actually fine in the first place but you you, you change as stuff goes on rather yeah. than grown up you know they've both grown up and it is a more grown up album it took a while to find the direction you know and I think some of it succeeds fantastically well other the, some of the other ones that i don't answer keen on are ones that are more maybe older have been knocking around a while and are kind of almost forced into shape in, in, to kind of match up with the the new ideal didn't quite work out. How you feel about the album 30 years later? Um, well, I'm very proud of it. It was a huge part of my life. Two years at that age is, you know, I got married and had a kid. So, you know, we were, it was a great period. Was, we had a really nice time. We were getting on well, had a, a nice standard of living. We were out, we were working fairly civilised hours. It was a great fondly remembered part of my life. There's a few inher- inherent weaknesses with it, which is the time spent. It's a little bit self-indulgent here and there. And maybe the songs could a little bit, bit stronger. That's, um, but, it's on balance, it's, it's got some absolutely stunning bits of music on there. So very proud of it. I don't want to compare it with the other ones, but um, as in its own right, I think it's a great, it's a great album. Commentary over. Ooh. So many thanks to Dave Baskin for doing that. Uh, it was such an enjoyable interview, and time just flew by. Learned so much. Like who knew that Kurt only played bass on one track on the album? I never knew that. So yeah, yeah, it was great. So thanks to Dave for that. And I might post the full interview because we spoke for 90 minutes uh, as a separate episode because there's still other bits that couldn't quite jam into the commentary. Um, anyway, you'll find him on Twitter intermittently. So say hi to him at D underscore N underscore Bascom or at uh, echobeachmanagement.com and get hold of him there as well. That's what I did. Uh, so hopefully we'll have another interview lined up pretty soon. And then I will crack on with <laughs> finishing the Tears of Fear season with the Seeds of Love episodes. Note the plural. I'm not going to get it done in one. And if there's one thing I've learned from this experience um, of doing this podcast, it's never give up on your dreams. And I don't mean the desire for fame or to be rich. I mean, that's a means to an end. I mean, if you have a love for something that you want to share and express, then go for it. Uh, I would never have imagined when I started this, that I would get to speak to the producers of the albums that have meant so much to me for over 30 years. And getting to do... I mean, if I never do another episode of this podcast, I've achieved something that will always mean something to me. So, go for it. It doesn't have to be big. This isn't a big deal. It's just, if it means something, you know, it's its own reward. (sighs) So on that profound note, we will leave with a song that Dave referenced in the episode by Danny Wilson. From their debut LP, Meet Danny Wilson. The hit that everyone who knows of them knows is Mary's Prayer. But the one that Dave said Roland liked is this one, Davey. Produced, of course, by Dave Bascom. So until we meet again, have a very merry, peaceful Christmas and New Year. Or depending when you're listening to this, summer, autumn or spring. Adieu, mon ami.
you want to do you want to just quickly queue up that bit of the song where it changes? Oh, yeah. I'd love yeah. to know the exact moment. Okay. Can you actually can give me the timing? Well, it's a this? very tricky little beat, so um, it's going to be hard to. You can actually say it's at four minutes twelve or whatever, and then we can. Oh, all right. Be able to, like. Yeah. I was looking through some tape boxes the other day, and um, it was called "Too Late." This for a while. That was the working title. Really? At least as far as, least as, far as the studio staff were concerned. Too late. Okay, uh, it's just before that, so... Right, exactly 5.04. 5.04, I'm writing that down. It was me being stupidly clever. It's on a hi-hat, so instead of being one, two, three, four, one, it's... I'll play it to you. It's... There. Oh, sorry, there. I'll do that again, shall I? Is it before the didder? It's, uh, I'll show you again. There, on that little thing. That's just oh after God. the bubble. That is so subtle. That's amazing. It's a very tricksy place. I just happened to know that Simon had played that hi-hat thing. Thank you. That's enough from YouTube. Good luck editing it.